Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. This is the Finance and Markets Cashflow Hacking Podcast, streaming to you live, exposing the methods behind unlocking colossal wealth. Your host, Casey Stubbs. Today's guest is Mark Willis, the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services. His education is at Abilene Christian University. He has a master's in divinity. He's a certified financial planner from the American College. And he lives in Chicago, Illinois. He is the founder of Lake Growth Financial Services and the host of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. And we are looking forward to our interview with Mark Willis today. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Casey. So uh, you're based out of Chicago, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We live in downtown Chicago, so you and I both know what it means to have a real winter. Yeah, well, you probably have it a lot worse than we do. We're in the Pittsburgh area, but uh, right off that lake can be pretty brutal, I think. Oh, yeah. Yep, you bet. <laughs> so did you guys get snow the other day? We just, I just had like five inches yesterday. Well, we, we didn't. We had a nice cold Easter. We thought we were going to do out, we're recording this right after Easter, and we thought we were going to get to do some outside uh, egg hunting, but our daughter had to, we had to give her eggs indoors this time, and uh, she didn't mind. She's a toddler, so I loved <laughs> it regardless. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, about your background, and how you got started with uh, your financial planning services. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I grew up uh, working in uh, sort of the mainstream financial planning world. I, I spent some time, you know, listening, in fact, quite a bit of time every single day on the radio. I'd listen to Dave Ramsey. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He does a major radio show every day. And I really didn't think critically about what he was saying. You know, that, that skill that you're really taught in college to learn how to think critically, take people's advice and, and really put it to your own mind. And uh, so I, I did get through undergrad and then grad school. Uh, and never once did I really ever get taught about money. My, my degrees were not in the world of finance or economics. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it was in leadership. I was, I actually went through a seminary degree and uh, ended up like never being taught how to manage, balance a checkbook for my own family or a church or ministry or whatever else. So, you know, my wife and I left school with six figures in student loan debt and like literally no plan on how we were going to pay for it. Uh, so then we, right after that, moved to the big expensive city, Chicago, right? And I started working like as many jobs as I could, trying to keep the bills paid. Uh, and then we moved here right at the beginning of what turned out to be the greatest correction or recession since the Great Depression. Uh, so the beginning of 2008. Uh, and so at that point, I started really paying attention to our own finances uh, and really saw it as a personal passion of mine. 
Uh, so, you know, I started working for a CPA firm. Um, that's, so that's a little bit about sort of what got me into finance. Um, all my training, everything I went through, all my licensing and everything really taught me kind of the mainstream financial world of, you know, buying term and investing the rest, uh, you know, get everything into mutual funds that you possibly can. Um, and of course, that's what Dave Ramsey taught me, right? So, you know, how could I dare go against what the ultimate uh, uh, financial guru, uh, financial entertainer would say on the radio every day, right? He wouldn't say it unless it was true, right, Casey? Well, you know, that goes back to what you were talking about with critical thinking, which is one of the things that I, it's interesting to know that they taught that in college. I didn't get that class, but that's really seems to be missing from, from our society. And it's kind of like you just take whatever someone's saying, you evaluate it, and then you study and you apply it and you try to determine what is true and what is false. And you make your own decision based on the information that you can collect. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of just becoming an adult, right? Right. Uh, take people As a kid, you're taking whatever mom and dad say at face value. But at some point, at some point, hopefully you're figuring out that, hey, this is not, uh, I got to come up with my own reasons for believing what I believe. So that's kind of what this transition was like for me. And I think one of the biggest was hearing the CPA that I worked for at the time. She was very well renowned. I mean, nationally recognized, you know, one of the best in the business, in my opinion, she was making calls to clients in the midst of the Great Recession saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, I know you're 62 years old, but I just lost you half of your life savings. And that freaked me out, to be honest, as a young financial planner in the business. Uh, I didn't want to spend my entire career helping people build a life of uh, you know, financial insecurity and all their money in a house of cards. So for me, that was a big wake-up call. I mean, that cracked open my mind to what else is out there. You know, if, if Wall Street doesn't have every answer that we're looking for, what does? And, you know, where possibly uh, could I research to put my own cash versus, you know, um, and not to mention my clients' uh, wealth as well. So when you're looking, based on, on what I'm hearing here, that you're very focused on risk because – the downturn was a pretty scary thing. And so based on that, you've really got to think about what is going to happen if there's another recession or depression or great crash. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about it, it all comes down to longevity risk. Uh, That's one of the biggest unspoken risks that folks have to face. And that's the big question of how long are we going to live? So, you know, at the end of the day, nobody has the answer to that question. So, and the longer you live, the more you're exposed to every other risk out there. So I'm a big believer in risk. I love taking necessary risks because it's in the risk that you can find reward. You know, I just, have you read the book, uh, anti-fragile? By I have not. Uh, great book, funny book, silly, but also really deep. He's an options trader uh, in New York and he wrote the black swan. If you know that book or know of that concept, the black swan. But one of the things he says is it's the people who are anti-fragile that actually get stronger in the midst of calamity, you know? So what's the opposite of fragile? It's not being strong. It's actually being anti-fragile. That's the, that's the antonym of fragile. It's the idea of, Hey, if you work your body out, you'll, your body kind of gets torn down under the pressure of the workout and then it gets stronger as a result. So that's the idea that we use with our clients, not just being, you know, strong or resilient in the face of calamity or the next recession or the next bear market, whenever that comes and it's coming, you know, it's just a matter of time. Right. Right. 
two major collapses since the year 2000. So what do we do in the face of that that makes us better as investors, better as financial, uh, financial individuals in the world? And so that's really what we focus on. And, and I believe that's a big reason why traditional financial planning is broken. Okay. The, so just expound on that a little bit. It's broken because they're not anti-fragile or they're just focusing on reward, not focusing on risk. What, what do you mean by yeah. being broken? Yeah. I mean, you think about uh, some of what has happened in the last 20 years. You know, I hate using this analogy. I wish there was a better one, but I really see Wall Street and traditional index funds, passive investing as kind of like the abusive boyfriend on Wall Street. So uh, investors keep going back to the abusive boyfriend on Wall Street, uh, their index funds, you know, buy and hold, you know, it's going to just weather the storm. You know, you know, we've, we've lost your money twice since the year 2000. We've beaten you up pretty bad, but no, uh, just keep coming back, you know, because this is the only place you can ever save for your future. You know, I just patently disagree. I think there's incredible non-correlated assets that have nothing to do with, you know, passive index funds that you can have tremendous upside with a lot less downside risk. Uh, that to me seems like at least a part of your portfolio should be anti-fragile. Uh, and again, that's the idea where you're, you know, not being riddled with fees and government taxes, but you're able to get some real growth when markets crash. It's, it's, I mean, that's how the most wealthy in our country took advantage in the Great Depression. You know, f- folks like JCPenney and, and the Carnegies and those folks made it through the Great Depression stronger because of that. Right. And uh, it's really good to be focusing on how to recover when, when those things happen. But right. the, the truth is, if you're not prepared and it, it takes you out or you get fearful and you pull out, I'm sure you have a lot of stories. You, you got started maybe right at the crash. You might not have a lot of stories, but I know people that they found out that they lost all this money in 2008. So they're like, forget this, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then they basically got out at the worst possible time. That's right. They never mm-hmm. recovered because they didn't weather it out. If they would have just continued going the course, they would have done much better and they would be doing I, actually not just much better, but they'd be doing fantastic today. It, that's the, that's the trouble. It's the trouble of the sequence of returns. There's another risk that a lot of people haven't heard of before. I mean, before I got into uh, my CFP designations, I'd never even stumbled across this idea of the sequence of returns. Are you familiar with that, or has uh, that that terminology? I'm not familiar with. No, it's it's it was new to me too. So I'll kind of explain it. So I can give you an average rate of return of 25, percent and you still have no more money in your pocket at the end of let's say four years. You know, so the market has been doing great. It's been on a tear since 2011, uh, and we've had a couple of you know corrections since, but really it's been nothing but up. Uh, so all right, so let's say I give you. You know, you, you give me $10,000 to invest. And in that first year, Casey, I give you a hundred percent rate of return. That means I doubled your money in the first year, right? So you, you gave me 10 grand at the end of that first year. How much money do you have if I doubled your money? Uh, thousand to 20, at the 000. end of first year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Getting me on the, the math. Yeah, man. Sorry, bro. Uh, so at the end of that first year, you're loving life. You're loving what's going on. Second year, 20 grand is what you started at, right? And that year I lose half your life savings. So from 20,000 down to 10,000. You're right right back where you started. Right back where you started. What was the average rate of return on that money? Zero. 
20, well, it was 25%. That was 25% that was because you, oh, because you doubled it. It was a hundred percent the first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You take a okay. hundred plus so 25% equals zero in this case. So the numbers doesn't really mean anything. Right. Well, that's what I, that's kind of what I walked through with some folks is average rates of return mean nothing. I mean, if, you know, if folks are really concerned about their rate of return in the market, I tell them to go to try to walk through a river, like wade through a river where the average depth is four feet deep and just sort of see what they say, say there. Cause the truth is that it doesn't matter what the average return is. I could drown in an average four foot deep pool, right? If right. one of the pool is 200 feet deep and the other is two inches deep, the average might be four, but it doesn't matter what the average return is. Uh, okay. I got another pop quiz for you. Uh, no, oh boy. Shut up here. Uh, so, okay. So according to third-party researcher Dalbar, are you familiar with Dalbar? They're an independent research firm that does like, in, you know, it researches the actual investor returns. So not, not the average mutual fund, uh, uh-huh. but actual investors. What was okay. the average investors return in mutual funds? Let's say asset allocation, mutual funds. These are these are your typical index funds, passively managed or uh, mutual funds that, you know, are spreading your money out across a variety of classes, growth, you know, value, anything that really blends the, the portfolio among, you know, lots of different types of money, right? Lots of different kinds of companies and so forth. All right. So the question is, over the last 30 years, so three decades, what was the average investor's real return? So to get the actual answer here, you have to have a definition of who the average investor is, right? Are you talking about like, who does that exclude exactly? These are people who could be any American. So we're looking at America here uh, because Dalbar researched the American population. And these are average investors uh, with all of their money inside asset allocation mutual funds. So it doesn't matter if I'm 60 years old or 25 years old. If my money is in the same thing, it should perform the same, right? Okay. So over the last three decades, asset allocation, which is a spread between stocks and bonds, what was their real return? What would you I, say? I, I'm going to keep it pretty low and I'm going to say uh, 0.5%. 0.5? So for the sake of example, you're saying that the that Wall Street for all the ups and downs and in the last three decades, including the 90s, including since 2009, when we've started to see an upswing in the market, you're saying that investors only got half a percent? I, that's what I would guess, because for one, average investors usually don't do as well as as the professionals. Right. Yeah. And, the, the and the, yeah. Right. But the industry, the, the market is based off of, you know, the best performing you know, the top guys are the ones that get included in the numbers usually. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you're actually not far off. The real return of real investors, mom and pop with their 401k and brokerage accounts, only earned 1.85% per year for the last three decades. Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, 
how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. And so you think that that is unacceptable. Am I correct? I, I don't know anybody who does. For all the <laughs> roller coaster rides and sleepless nights we've had in the last three decades, I can't imagine that doesn't even beat inflation. Right. You know, so how is that possible? Right. How can, how can mutual funds advertise 8% a year uh, or 10% a year or whatever, if we're only getting 1.8? Yeah, it's, there's some, something broken in the, uh, in the metrics. And also it, it kind of goes back to, like you said, the industry's broken because they're teaching an average rate of return, which is really doesn't mean anything. So people are looking for something that doesn't help them or it actually could hurt them. So they're really in, it's like a lack of critical thinking because they don't understand what they're getting into. And um, they're really just investing and not seeing any return at all. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, and truth is the, the, the stock market is infinite, right? It never has to retire it, you know, and, and so you could, at some point our finite human bodies have to get off the roller coaster. So we're buying and selling at wrong times. You know, we're saying, all right, I'm 62. I can't run this race anymore. I can't get in at the bottom of 2009, run it all the way up to today. Cause you know, nobody knows where the bottom is until we're looking in the rearview mirror. Um, but you know, the, the, the trouble with um, trying to time the market is even the professionals aren't doing um, any better than, than average Americans, at least uh, as far as statistics I can find. Uh, folks like me, you know, we can't, we don't have a crystal ball either. Uh, even as a certified financial planner, they didn't mail me my crystal ball when I, when I got the CFP. Uh, so it's just the trouble of knowing what the right timing is. And so the, av the average investor simply buys and holds and then retires. And, uh, you know, they're doing all the, they're, they're being told to do a lot of these things from folks that, you know, uh, just kind of got passed down the same wisdom that they received. You know, it's sort of like, um, you know, why does grandma always cut off both sides of the ham? Well, you know, um, we don't know until we ask her, well, her mom always did it that way. Yeah. Her mom. And finally we realized it was because <laughs> the oven was too small. That's why we do it. <laughs> yeah. I actually have some pretty funny stories about like yeah. my wife's cooking yeah. and I was like, well, why do you do that? And she cannot tell me, but it's her mother. And then I tell her that that's wrong. And then it's this whole big thing happens. It's not usually. Right. So we're back to critical <laughs> thinking skills again. Yeah. Right? So yeah, part of what we try to do with our financial firm is we really look at ways to, you know, okay, we are going to continue to, you know, put some of our money into equities and bonds. I mean, that's a well-balanced portfolio. You know, you still want to diversify, but you don't want all your eggs in the uh, asset class of equities and, and bonds. You know, if, if all your money is in stocks and bonds, that's sort of, but, but maybe they're diversified among a number of mutual funds. I tell folks, it's sort of like having all your eggs in 12 different baskets, which is good. But if all of those baskets are on the same truck, 
and the truck goes over the cliff, right? How, how, you know, what good did that do you, right? So you need, I tell folks that you really need to have non-correlated assets. Uh, so that's asset allocation risk. So we've talked about um, longevity risk. How long are we going to keep breathing? What's our sequence of return risk? Uh, the order in which we get those returns really matters. Uh, that's the, another risk. Uh, and then the third risk is asset allocation risk. You know, uh, what if, you know, what if uh, stocks don't perform well? Well, maybe we have some other assets like bonds to help you. Or okay. Well, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. So let's say that we've got our portfolio together and we, we have it asset allocated properly, you know, different, several different categories. And after you take a look at it five years, one of your categories has outperformed the rest. And I'm sure you probably see this a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and that category has done really well. At that point, is it your recommendation to pull some of the profit back from that specific category that's performing well and put it and re-diversify re again at that point? Well, we want to look at the underlying fundamentals uh, of what that asset is doing. Maybe it has farther to run uh, before it uh, has a correction. You know, you, you, you know, so you'd look at the underlying structure of whatever the asset is. If it's going to continue to go up, you know, maybe you take some of it off the table. But if you're pretty certain that it's going to continue to rise, you want to keep running that. that, that Even uh, though we, can't, we know we can't time the market because you did just say that, though. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah. so it might make sense to pull some of it out. What I like to say is, you know, you want to be a nice disciplined investor and by being anti-fragile, you always want to say, all right, it's better to be a year early than a day late with bubbles. You know, so if it's a bubble, you want to get out as soon as you can. If it's right. still, the fundamentals are still strong, you know, you continue to ride that upswing as, as much as you can. Uh, and the key here is, is most of your money, is money you can afford to lose in that investment or is it money you, you know, cannot afford to lose in that investment. Uh, we we kind of talk about the barbell strategy with our firm where, you know, I don't know, let's just pick a number. Let's say 90% of your portfolio is in cash and cash equivalents. And then the money you can afford to lose is in, you know, wild goose chases and startups and crypto and other things that might go to zero or might go sky high. And in that case, if it's just a little bit of your portfolio, have fun, you know, run, right. run up, run up that, that mountain as high as it'll go. Cause you've got, you know, the bulk of your strategy, this barbell strategy uh, is money you cannot afford to lose, you know, and it's in something that won't go down. Do you recommend that? And obviously this would be different for everybody, but do you recommend if people have a little bit of extra money that, that they could just go ahead and find some stuff to have fun with? not like gambling, but stuff that is maybe a little more high risk that you could see a greater return, like a startup, like a startup, you could get just incredible return if you find the right one. Yeah. If you want to be an angel investor, it's all about, you know, do I have the money that I cannot afford to lose in things that I am certain aren't taking unnecessary risks? And that's a personal question that you ask after we've had several different um, you know, blueprint conversations, you know, we'll sit down one-on-one -on -one in an advisory role and conduct a, you know, a thorough analysis of where people are right now. And then we'll say, all right, you know, where are you in terms of having the assets you need to have for your retirement? And we'll look at that. We'll run some numbers on that. And if they've got plenty to set aside for their future, their kids' college, you know, uh, all the other goals that they have, then absolutely. Yeah. Have some fun throwing some money into things that, you know, might 
be the next Facebook or might be the next Enron. You know, you just never know. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Okay. Well, Mark, I want to ask you a couple questions specifically about Lake Growth Financials. So uh, you're based in the Chicago area. Do you work with people just locally or is it from all over the place? Yeah. And, you know, I say that, you know, it really, it's anybody who is interested in looking at working with their finances in a fresh and non, uh, non-mainstream way, we say not your average way. Uh, so, you know, when we, I guess if I was to kind of break it down, maybe half of our clients are in the Chicagoland area, the other half are spread around the rest of the country. Uh, so we currently only work with clients in the U.S., but we've got ties to fir- financial firms and advisors in other countries as well, if folks want a recommendation. So then if you're not local, you would just have a phone meeting, and if you need to send, send them some financial information, you just send it via email and things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's very, we're very comfortable with the virtual process. In fact, we've been using JoinMe and Zoom and some of these tools like, like we're using today. Okay. And what type of person should be looking for your services? Do I have to have a certain amount of money to talk to you? Uh, do I have to have a retirement account? Like how, do, how does that work? How would I know when the right time to come looking for a company like Lake Growth Financial? So, you know, we do have a very unique way of looking at uh, the financial life. Uh, you know, so we work with individuals, we work with business owners that are interested in creating wealth in ways that are predictable, safe. Uh, and one of the things we specialize in, Casey, is be- helping our clients become their own source of financing. Uh, so that's a very unique approach that we've given folks uh, over the years where they actually can become their own banker. Uh, so this might be anyone who's looking at saving money for college. You know, why use another bank when you can use your own, right? Um, so, you know, from real estate investors to business owners, even pre-retirees, really it's anybody who's looking for finding ways to develop strategies that make sure their money doesn't run out before they do. Um, okay. So I, w- I just want to hit that real quick. How do you become your own banker? Like, what does that mean? Like you save enough money so you don't need to get a loan? Is that is that? Well, you know, think about what we're what we're doing. Every time we buy something, just just for sake of example. When you think about it, most financial plans are really designed to, designed to keep you from spending any of your money. Um, and so you can have a big pile of it over here so that on the day you retire, you'll have enough to monetize your assets until you pass away. That's kind of the general, you know, so if, if life is a big circle, we start here on our current age, whatever age you are, the typical financial plan will really ask you to set aside as much as you can so that you'll have that magic number on the day, on that day you plan to retire. So you can go from retire to dead before you run out of money. That's the, that's the typical way financial planning is done. And what we're really taught as financial planners, by the way. Uh, So by the way, this is also super great news for financial planners that uh, build their business model on assets under management. Right. I mean, think about it. If you've got a, a bunch of clients who are being told to stockpile huge amounts of money, uh, this big mountain of income to the investment advisor gets paid out to him or her every year, whatever it's doing. Unfortunately, there's, you know, really no one who has any sort of special designation to help folks know how to spend that income once they retire. Uh, Only only recently has there really been any kind of like effort to think about how do you take, how do you take 2 million bucks 
and turn it into an income that you cannot live. It's a really hard thing to do. So anyway, what we do in our firm is we prepare folks for that day. Uh, so not only will they have enough for that day when they truly retire, but you know, also take care of all the stuff of life. You know, the cars, the vacations, home repairs, big ticket items. You know, Casey, think about it. If you think of all of the cars we'll buy, <laughs> the kids' college expenses, the home down payments, you know, it's going to add up to millions of dollars over the typical life right. of you and me and our clients, right? So it's a tough choice. You know, we need that, that cash for the stuff of life. But we also need this big pile of money over here so we can spend it in retirement. So really, most financial planners have no plan for how to pay for that stuff in life. Uh, I'll give you a quick story, and then I'll you know, answer your question about this being your own banker thing. So if you, if you just bought your cars, right? So uh, let's just think about, let's say you buy eight more cars over your lifetime. Let's say each of those cars is 25000 bucks. Okay. And let's say you also go on a couple of vacations because, you know, wow, we, we need a couple of vacations. Let's say you go on 12 vacations over the rest of your lifetime. And let's say that's 5,000 bucks a piece. All right. So that's just the raw cost of that would be $260,000 over a quarter million dollars just for cars and vacations. That'd be if you were saving, and to do that, you'd have to save uh, $360 a month to pay for your cars and vacations over a 60 year period. Okay. Is that making sense so far? Totally. Right on. It, it feels real, right? Because that's, yeah. I mean, so we already have car payments, even if we're paying cash for things, right? So if you finance the vehicles, if you finance your vacations on credit cards or whatever, let's say the average interest was 10% on those cars and vacations on average, uh, you're going to be spending an extra hundred grand. Your total cost is 365,000 bucks just for your cars and vacations. All right. All right, so now let's think about this. This is the real problem that I find with most financial plans, Casey. Let's say that you had been able to somehow avoid paying uh, cash for cars. Let's say you just took the bus your entire life. And let's say you didn't go on a single vacation your entire life. And let's say instead of spending that $360 a month on cars and vacations, you just invested it instead. All right, let's say that that investment, whatever it was, earned 5% over 60 years. Your money that would have gone to cars and vacations grew to $1.5 million. Right, which is more, <laughs> way more to cover than covering your vacations, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, right. hope, so hope then you like that, that nice vacation, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, so the key with being your own banker, Casey, is if you could find a way to recapture all those dollars that you spend throughout your lifetime and get uninterrupted compound growth, Right. And at the same time, have access to that money for buying your cars, going on the vacations. Uh, that solved the problem, right? That's the, that's the mythical eighth wonder of the world, uninterrupted right. compound growth. Yeah. And uh, that reminds me of a book I read called The Richest Man in Babylon. I'm not sure mm. if you're familiar with yeah. that, where he talks about saving 10%. And that's an yeah. old book, like 1920s, right? Yeah. right? Saving yeah. 10% and then investing the 10 or not necessarily investing it, but putting it somewhere, taking that money, then take the money that you make off that 10 and then putting it back in and you just keep doing it. And I'll, mm. I can honestly say that I've been doing that also uh, in my yeah. life and it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. The, 
the the best thing in the world is watching that continue to reinvest and grow. The trouble is most people have to make that choice. Hey, you know, Casey, I, I love the idea of this compound growth stuff, but hey, shoot, I need to drive a car to get to work every day. Or I right. need to send my kids to college. Or the, my kid needs braces or, you know, it's those, it's the stuff of life. And I believe you finance everything you buy. You know, either you pay interest to a bank or credit card company or mortgage company, or you pass up interest. You could have earned on your money had you not spent it. Right. And I, and I agree. And, and as I'm a guy who actually has a lot of expenses, um, mm -hmm. mainly because I have nine kids. Uh, wow. so Right. When I'm, so when I'm looking at school and vacation and all of those things, it's a lot more expensive. And so, yeah. so because I've done a lot of that stuff uh, that you're talking about, it's, we live pretty free uh, to do some of the cool stuff in life. Mm -hmm. I'm not retired yet, but uh, mm -hmm. I think I'll be okay there because I've been doing this all along. Um, right. I just need, need better financial advice along the way and investments. So cool. I want to, I, yeah. I got a, probably a, a whole bunch more questions cause this has been pretty good, but I, I want to end with just one more because you touched on something. Uh, and that was about how traditional advisors will charge you and how they make a lot of money. So are you charging people differently than the way traditional advisors charge? Right. Yeah. This question is huge because I believe it really, you know, belies the fact that financial planners are typically going to retire before their clients will. <laughs> uh, that's because on average assets that are management of even just 1% a year, you're right. 1% pretty common. doesn't sound like a lot. You know, what's 1% of my money. Sure. I'll give that to the investment guy who's giving me some great returns or, or that even half a percent to a robo. Right? Um, that 1% a year will gobble up a third of someone's life savings over their lifetime uh, and give it straight to the investment advisor. So the fees are this, un, like, that's uninterrupted compound growth too, right? Right, yeah. So, you know, you want to really think about the compounding fees that are just gobbling up your nest egg. Plan fees, wrap fees, soft dollar costs, account charges, Revenue sharing, expense ratios, redemption fees, deferred sales charges. I'm just reading a short list here. There's like right. on average, 401ks have like over 17 fees that most people don't know. They, they look at maybe the, the fund analysis. And I'll tell you, if, uh, if your listeners are interested, totally check out the FINRA Fund Analyzer. FINRA Fund Analyzer. Just okay. Google that. I'll put it in the resources underneath the, the All episode. Right. Cool. Yeah. yeah, you can find out the fees charge and what it would cost over 10 years or 30 years, but that's just one of the 14 fees that most 401ks, IRAs have. So yeah, you know, according to the Department of Labor, just a 1% per year AUM fee will slash the value of someone's savings by 28% over 35 years. So if you've got more, more fees, you know, the average 401k at a small employer is like 1.9%. All right, so based on independent analysis of the strategies that we design for our clients, our clients are tip our clients at Lake growth are typically going to pay us about one tenth as much as the investment advisors that charge 1% AUM. That means 10 times Casey, 10 times more money in their pocket. So you know, over 30 years, maybe we get paid 30 grand, but we, the, our client got uh, to save $300,000. They would have sent to an investment advisor, you know, you know, ABC investment house or brokerage fee house. 
So, you know, definitely check out our uh, website. We'd be happy to show you how we do all that. But, you know, even, even the, the, the Yale Law Journal recently said, like, the recent updates and the enhanced disclosures that are being forced on 401k plans and the fiduciary duties of most uh, investment advisors don't help with these excessive fees. They're just, you know, it's sort of like, you know, slaloms on skiing, right? If, if a regulator puts up a bunch of new poles, mm-hmm. they're just, their design is to just avoid those poles and get to their goal regardless. They're going to charge the clients whatever fee they choose, and they take no risk, right? What risk does the investment advisor have? You know, well, it's uh, not his money, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So we, in general, we typically see, and we run a calculation for each one of our clients. Here's what you'd have with traditional financial planning, uh, putting your money in, you know, broadly based index funds, charging you 1% on average over the course of 30 years. And here's exactly how much you'd pay your investment advisor. Here's what we would charge you. And we showed the exact fee before they put any money into it, exactly what the cost would be. And typically it's about one tenth as expensive to work with us, which we're proud to say. We keep the lights on around here. But we don't have, I don't have like uh, Bengal tigers and champagne glasses, you know, a bathtub full of cash. So, well, you question. have happy, some happy customers and people that uh, can retire and have a free, free lifestyle, which is one of the best things you can do, right? Yeah. Well, and it helps us all sleep better at night. Uh, if we're not all riding, if all of our money was tied to the Dow, you'd, you know, what are we doing today? We, it's, it was a little risky yesterday. It looked, uh, looked like we were going up and down sideways. Right. It's like I'm reading stocks plunge again here today. So who knows? Maybe we'll so, be up at the end of the day. So uh, when you have a crash, your, your customers get nervous, your clients, uh, what do you guys do? What's your, what's your strategy to survive a down market? I'm actually looking forward to it again, anti-fragile Casey, you know, so our clients have, huge boatloads of cash and cash equivalents uh, ready to deploy when markets are going to correct. And the only question is when. So we've got money in all, you know, up, down and sideways, the different investments you can put your money into, but the vast majority of your wealth is in a big warehouse of cash that you can throw into something as soon as you see an opportunity, real estate investing or whatever. So the anti-fragile people at Lake Growth are ready for anything. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Ready for anything. I like it. Can okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks again for, for stopping by and uh, check out Mark's website, Lake Growth Financial. Check out his podcast. We'll link to all of that uh, underneath this episode. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Let me uh, give a quick shout out to your audience. I, I believe that, you know, you know, you guys are awesome, continuing to learn, uh, if you go, if you'd like, uh, I've been able to work out a deal with uh, my staff here that anyone who wants to work with uh, our firm, if you want to have a 10 to 15 minute phone introduction meeting uh, where we can get to know you and answer some questions you might have, uh, go to lakegrowth.com forward slash schedule and book an introductory phone appointment with us. And we'll send you a, a free copy of my best selling book, Compliments of Casey. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. Good, Thanks, good stuff. I really appreciate that. Excellent. Have a great one. 
You've been listening to the Finance the Markets Cash Flow Hacking Podcast. To get all the best financial growth strategies, visit financeandmarkets.com and claim your wealth report strategy. Thanks for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.